0: It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. He's going to talk about Psy, the first, probably not the last, exploit based on Heartbleed, an actual uh, break-in, uh, and a whole lot more. Your questions, Steve's answers, too. And what's wrong with PGP? We'll find out next on Security Now. Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This, this is Twitter. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode four hundred seventy, recorded August twenty sixth, twenty fourteen. Your questions, Steve's answers, number one hundred ninety five. Security Now is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter makes hiring faster, easier, and cheaper. Post your job to 50-plus job boards with one click. Try ZipRecruiter right now with a free four-day trial at ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your loved ones, and your
1: privacy online.
0: It's like a giant button on your internet protecting (laughs) you
1: with Steve's face on it. Hey, Steve Gibson. And more and more... There's sort of a keep calm and carry on philosophy. It's like the press just seems to just be having a field day lately on all of these overhyped, you know, I mean, that's their job, I guess, is to drive traffic. But, you know, it's just crazy how I've noticed that in general, sort of the background theme that I've been carrying the last few months has been, okay, now. That's not quite as bad as it sounds. Or, you know, okay, yes, the headlines, you know, are a little overwrought. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we want to be safe, but also want to try to keep breathing
0: in a, at a constant pace. I knew you'd come around to that. At some point, you just have to say, you know, there's so many threats out there that it would paralyze you if you took them all seriously. So just, you know what, the chance of somebody targeting you is small. Take, take the reasonable precautions, good passwords, you know, be careful with social engineering, et cetera.
1: Yep. Yep. There's a, a Microsoft research paper that I, I've still got. It See, I keep, just it keeps getting pushed down in my notes. It's something that I have always been planning to dissect on the podcast. Uh, it's something titled like, Users' Rational Disregard of Security Advice. I love it. Which isn't that great? I just love the title. It's like they are ignoring us, and that's rational. So you, you almost know, have to.
0: I mean, don't we'll ignore be- people, but
1: don't go all crazy either. Well, because I mean, there's, you know, everyone wants to find their balance right. wherever that is. And certainly you could really be, you know, belt and suspenders and super glue and epoxy and, you know, I mean, just have a really difficult time removing your trousers at the end of the day kind of person. Or you could just, you know, if they're looking like they're about to fall off, it's like, "Eh, I'm not worrying about it. So, you know, everybody has a different balance point where it's the right place for them. And, you know, we've never been about absolutely crazy knee jerk over the top. We've been about, okay, here's, what we think are the facts, right. and you can decide.
0: But, if, of course, if so, you listened, uh, it would be easy to get a little paralyzed by fear. You know, it's the same thing as watching a TV news, I find. Uh, you know, the job of the news is to find all the bad things that are happening. And now with global news networks and the ability to communicate globally, pretty much there's always something bad going on somewhere. Well, it's you would start to think
1: the world's falling apart. Yes, it's definitely the case that you cannot fear what you don't know about. Yeah. So Ignorance first of all, bliss. So, so, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So if you have no idea that anything is going on, well, okay, yeah, how can you be upset? If you're informed, then you've got some responsibility to decide, okay, wait a minute, you know, is that, does that sound bad or, or does that sound bad? So, you know, yeah, so certainly... The, the, the less you know, the less opportunity you have for being upset, and the more you know, uh, the more choice you have.
0: I think the, most people who listen to the show are in the business or professionals. They need to know this information, and they have the wherewithal to weigh it and, and act appropriately and not go crazy
1: yeah and you know clearly we're we're news and technology, so you know last week was steeped in the technology of routing right, and right. and and great. network network addresses and masks yeah. and and all that uh and so you know that that because that's really where I come from. I'm, I'm looking at the, at the stuff we cover from that angle. Uh, we had a very slow week, Leo. I, I went digging around for stuff to talk about because you know normally what happens is I kind of keep an eye on my Twitter feed during the week and there's always enough stuff. I make notes of articles and, and issues and stories as, as, as I run across them or as I see people making sure that I know about something. Pretty much nothing happened. Um, Isn't so, that funny?
0: You would think. Now, this is also a slow week for tech news in general. In fact, for news in general, it's the last week of August. Everybody's yep. gone. Uh, yep. You know, we're waiting for Labor Day. In the tech news world, we're waiting for all the new phones and new gadgets from IFA and Apple's announcements, et cetera. And so it's very slow. We are talking about this on MacBreak Weekly. This is a dead time in general. But I find it funny that it's also a dead time for security. So apparently hackers take the week off, too.
1: Either that or the reporters. We're not really sure. <laughs> yeah, hackers are still know. working.
0: We just don't know they, it. They
1: we exactly. Oh, they, I get maybe it. Maybe okay. we just maybe we just have a little lull in the reporting. In which case, we'll we'll get it. We'll get caught up next Everybody week. Everybody
0: in McLean, Virginia, is on the beach right now. Not not working. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, we we know that uh, Sony's PlayStation Network was attacked. Uh, there's a new guy in charge of U.S. cybersecurity who has boasted that he knows nothing about cybersecurity. Yeah, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. I did, too. How is uh, that uh, an advantage? At, Please, really. We, <laughs> we actually have the first confirmed serious um, attack that's a consequence of the heartbleed vulnerability that, of course, we talked about so much. Uh, and then the question is, whether you rather be autonomous or anonymous? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how I tripped over my tongue last week. So... <laughs> Uh that's what we'll talk about. And then of course we've got the ten uh great questions and and discussion points from our users.
0: You you caught yourself when you uh were the autonomous anonymous. I was about well, to if inter- I, interrupt and you finally fixed it, so I just
1: left it oh, alone. Oh good, yeah. because yeah, I know the difference. But of course I'm I'm so focused on anonymity right. that if I'm not if I don't make sure I say autonomous, then I just automatically say anonymous. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Our show today brought to you by ZipRecruiter. I saw they just got their first uh, investment uh, capital. They're doing so well. They're just eating it up. And there's a good reason why they're eating it up because they solve a very big problem for uh, human resource people, uh, managers, bosses, people like me who need to do hiring. Uh, there are so many job boards out there right now that you don't and, – and each kind of has a different specialty and a different clientele. You don't really know where to go. To post your job listing, well, ZipRecruiter solves that by saying, "Hey, just post it here, and we'll post it on uh, 50 plus job boards, including you know all the big ones, including Craigslist and the and the social ones like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn." It really couldn't be easier. Uh, if you're looking for full time, part time, hourly, seasonal workers, we're getting to that time of year. ZipRecruiters got the solution for you. You post to all the different job boards at once. Post once, distribute everywhere. Uh, of course, all the social benefits uh, of LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus, too. Uh, you, they have a, a resume database, 4.2 million resumes with thousands of new ones added daily. That's free to search. They have a mobile uh, solution as well. In fact, both mobile for you and mobile for the job seekers, so... Um, your your job page, your career page all looks great on a small phone, but you can also bu- view and share formatted resumes on all size platforms very easily, screen candidates, uh, and, of course, it looks like your brand. Those career pages, they have your company logo and, and all of that. Uh, I'm really a fan of ZipRecruiter. We've used it now for hiring, and it's been uh, just really a, a fast way to, to get the uh, applications, to track them and to rate them. And, uh, and to hire them, find candidates in any city, any industry nationwide. You post once, and your qualified candidates will roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. Over 200,000 businesses use ZipRecruiter. They just raised, I think, like $60 million um, in venture capital. This is this is a very big success, and they guarantee your satisfaction. So try it. We've got a free trial waiting for you at ZipRecruiter.com slash Security now. ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. Four days free to really get a sense of what ZipRecruiter can do for you. ZipRecruiter.com slash security now.
1: Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte, we're talking security. So just for the record, so for those people who noticed I was saying anonymous, I meant autonomous <laughs> <laughs> it's they are autonomous systems and autonomous system numbers yes asn numbers i translated it in my head i knew exactly what you i didn't even think about it or yeah. i would have stopped and i you. didn't even and i didn't even hear myself right. saying anonymous because yeah.
0: you eventually you, you said autonomous eventually so it well, i became hope so clear. yeah, yeah I you did autonomous
1: Every single time. As far as I know, there was no instance last week no anonymity. where I actually meant there was no anonymity in, the, in these autonomous systems. They were not anonymous. They were autonomous. Thank you. So just to correct the record.
0: Hey, by the way, uh, I, I, I wanted to thank you. I don't know if you're you, – I don't see this in your notes, but we got a, a email from your friends at DigiCert. I know you use them for your certs.
1: Oh, and I, I mean I've – for years now, and they're just – you know, they're my company. I'm so happy. I finally, you know, I don't change easily. I, I I'm, I'm one of those people. Oh, I know, need, like You're some, a loyal man. reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was. You know, I'm still over at Network Solutions for my yeah, for my we'll domains. Fix and that. I have yeah. No idea why, <laughs> but finally, you know, I just had to leave Verisign because there was just too much pain. And and I, it was what what it was was it was noticing that Facebook was using DigiCert. and I thought, okay if you know i i was just i was nervous about that there would be you know some someone wouldn't n- like the digicert cert which was completely turns out misplaced concern and so when i saw that facebook was using digicert i said oh well if it's good enough for facebook i mean uh, clearly everyone's going to accept that certificate so i i went over and oh my god has it been a great experience so and you know, saw- and i've good <laughs> this all comes
0: from the story we had that Google was ranking a little higher secure site, sites that were using HTTPS. And you and I had the conversation, well, why does Twitter need to be secure? And then the issue of, well, man-in-the-middle attacks for one. And, um, and, and so I, you know, they, thanks to you, the folks at DigiCert uh, contacted us and said, well, give you a free cert if you if you want to do an EV cert. That's the fancy one, right? the green yeah. oh, it, the green ball it bar. is
1: and yeah. and that i mean of course we know that they are you know th- there's a method of their madness that's this gets you they got a going, free plug right now it gets you hooked on their yeah. certificates and next year i'm sure it yeah you will <laughs> you, then be renewing in 3 years <laughs> or 2 years i think but, they're but, fans
0: know, also and i think it was a generous I, thing to do
1: they are um they they listen to the podcast and it was very yeah. generous and i'm i'm delighted that, oh, yeah. uh, that this will happen and i guess so the the way to 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 sum this up is that a site is a, a site with a great reputation and a reputation that it wants to to enhance and maintain is just it's better off offering secure connections to its users the argue, you know m- my position was well if you're not doing anything interactive if you're just displaying passive content there's not such a big problem but people argue correctly that you're still subject to various sorts of injection attacks and so so for example twit.tv being a high reputation popular site could be targeted for injection attacks that is taking advantage of the fact that people trust twit.tv to 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 uh, to abuse the non secure connection so you're having a certificate then allows people to connect to you securely and you you so you're sort of extending your shield of security you know from around your server all the way out and enclosing the connection all the way to their browser so you know it's sort of a, it's arguably a good thing to do well and i deferred to our sysadmin uh, mike taylor bear we call him
0: uh, because if it was hard to implement or whatever, I didn't think it was so important that we would uh, uh, do it. But he he jumped at it. He said, oh, I'd love to get all of Twit behind a cert. So uh, if that was enough for me. So uh, I, it's not there yet, but I, I understand he's working on it now. So pretty cool. soon when you come to Twit.tv, uh, you will see uh, Green Bar and uh, HTTPS. It just uh, does it. Nice. Yeah. So that's thank you. I appreciate that. And Very thank nice. you, DigiCert, for doing that.
1: Yeah. So um, we don't know much about the DDoS attack on that knocked the Sony PlayStation Network down. It was a weird, though. R- there was like a real-world component to it, too. Because at the same time, the, the president of Sony Online's flight was rerouted and grounded because American Airlines received a tweet oh. from lizard squad oh, they call themselves that was a bomb threat for the flight and and they put the flight down that's i think it's felony it was, it, that's just it was yeah horrible, horrible. i think it was i think they grounded him in phoenix and you know got them off the plane and the feds were there and and so forth so that was all sort of synchronized and this same li- lizard squad group uh apparently had attacked uh uh blizzard entertainment of course famous for worlds of warcraft um and riot games that does league of uh league of legends so the, these are guys that for whatever reason uh like to take game networks off the net and uh, harass john smedley who's the president of sony online do you know what's? i mean like is sony doing something controversial or bad or well sony's anything? been widely
0: hated for a while because of well the security breach that they had and- other, you know, I mean, and they put. You remember, I mean, it's gone on and on. They put DRM on their games. That was actually trying right. to be a rootkit. You remember that? And, but, these, on, but don't don't give these guys credit. These guys are jerks. Uh, whoever's doing this, and it may be one person. By the way, you mean
1: don't don't glamorize them. Don't
0: glamorize yeah. them. They're not acting in any out of any political. You know, any any righteous political anger. This is just just a random attack. These are these these kids are a holes, and uh, they you know it's just. I hope they get caught. That's just that's bad stuff to do. That
1: yeah. Well, we can't have people tweeting bomb threats that's and really ground- wrong. That's that's really a, that's really a problem for yeah. our society. Yeah. So I got a lot of tweets because the tech industry took a great humbrage to. Uh, Michael Daniel, who is the recently announced appointee uh, of Barack Obama, of course, our illustrious president of the U.S., appointed Michael Daniel to head the U.S. uh, cybersecurity. Um, He's he's the cybersecurity czar, which is, you know, the term we all now use. Um, And in an interview that Information Security Media Group did, he said that being too down in the weeds, as he put it, at the technical level, could actually be a little bit of a distraction. And he said, you can get enamored with the very detailed aspects of some of the technical solutions. And particularly here at the White House, the real issue is to look at the broad strategic picture and the impact the technology will have. And so, he explained that he tends he, he plans to focus on on the economics and psychology of cybersecurity, Moron. which I guess are like the parts that he knows. Yeah, because he's uh, not he has no background in this
0: field. Not that yeah, he doesn't. Exactly. Okay, maybe he doesn't know how to write PHP. He doesn't have any background
1: in this field. He's, a, he's a policy wonk. Well, yeah, exactly. And he says at a very fundamental level, cybersecurity isn't just about the technology but it's also about the economics of cybersecurity. intruders get in through those holes as he puts it that Moron. we know about i'm sorry yeah uh that we could fix the question is why don't we fix them that clearly leads me he says to the conclusion that we really don't understand all of those economics and psychology situations well enough. <laughs> now, okay, the guy is certainly no dummy. He's got his bachelor's in public policy from Princeton, then two masters, one in public policy from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and the second master's in national resource planning from the National oh, Defense University. Oh, that should be useful. But it's true, nothing in cybersecurity. So the what i saw on the net was you know first of all people just making sure that i want that making sure that i knew that this guy had had said this but I, but there was a lot of lot of techies you know sort of academic techies who were upset that that this is the person who was appointed i mean he's clearly 100 percent bureaucrat it's political crap but the, it's political but the fact crap. yeah and and the fact is leo you know neither of us could do that job i'd just shoot myself because i mean at that level there's nothing technical going on but you really would like someone more like we had what uh, uh howard was it howard schultz or schmidt um can't remember who was the previous uh cybersecurity guy and he was fabulous i mean he understood cybersecurity enough to be able to know what made sense and what didn't and you know i, I you, you got to wonder you know just how far removed from that is the right place to be and this guy is as far away as as far removed as you could get it's political cronyism
0: and it's just shameful i'm just yeah uh, it is it is uh, disappointing this is not the time to appoint somebody who doesn't know anything about <laughs> security to a and, and, and then who
1: boasts? Who, and then boasts? And then who boasts that? Well, it's the psychology of, it's not. that we're trying to understand. It's not. And he should
0: go to DEFCON.
1: Uh,
0: you know, gosh. yeah. Uh, this is so just more of the same.
1: We we found the we have the first confirmed major breach caused by Heartbleed. It was reported a week ago that uh, there was a major breach reported i didn't pick up on it and talk about it then because you know it's like okay another breach it's getting to be the point now where that's just not very it's not very exciting if there is isn't anything to back it up well there is something to back it up so we so it's a little more than a week ago uh it was announced that the the nations the u.s.'s second largest for-profit hospital chain called Community Health Systems. And they're like a, I mean, they've got hospitals that they manage, I think for some reason, I'm, I'm remembering 18 states, through, like 18 states throughout the Southeast, I think is sort of where they're centered. I kind of think, again, I'm I, a lot of this just ran past me. I think like maybe they're based in Tennessee. I'm not sure. Um, but they had a major breach the names addresses and social security numbers at least that again that hasn't been exactly specified of 4.5 million patients now of course this is arguably more sensitive data this is you know medical records breach than if it was just you know your paypal account or something what is significant and and what just was revealed is that and even now this is still not through confirmed sources they're keeping a lid on it during the during the investigation but what has been determined through trusted inside sources is that the breach was made by hackers in China who used heartbleed to to continually probe the servers, and in this case, it was a Juniper VPN server with that still had the vulnerable Open SSL at, on its internet facing VPN server that allowed them to obtain VPN credentials from some high placed network administrator. So those VPN credentials were captured wow. in th- through this b- well understood now Heartbleed buffer overrun uh, that is able to, uh, as we've talked about it when we did our our podcast on Heartbleed, to take a snapshot of RAM that should not be available publicly. Um, they 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 found in in through who knows how many persistent snapshots. They found VPN credentials, then were able to use those to log in as this highly placed network admin as them, and then got access into the internal network of community health systems, and through that, then exfiltrated this 4.5 million patients' uh, medical records back, back to China, so uh and that is interestingly enough i mean there we, what we had to date was confirmed theoretical vulnerabilities and even then i mean when this was first announced there were people reluctant to say that you could actually do this and and famously <laughs> um several <laughs> uh, s- uh several you know there, there there was a challenge put up and credentials were stolen, and th- those were the security certificates of the servers were stolen, which arguably was, you know, one level of problem. Although remember that that the argument there was, even if you had the security credentials, you would still need to perform other, you know, still you would still need to do other things like a DNS hijack in order to get people to go to the wrong IP in order to believe they were at the at, at the site whose stolen credentials were being used it's not enough just to have the credentials well here I mean if you're able to get someone you know to, to exfiltrate VPN credentials you as as this attack on community health systems demonstrates you're in you know you've got a you know a major attack against not visitors to their to a public server but you know into their internal network. So for for what it's worth, this is sort of a, you know, th- this would have been um, remote attackers identifying a persistently vulnerable heart bleed vulnerable server who just sat there patiently performing the heart bleed buffer overrun pulling buffers of, you know, 64k of data over and over and over and looking at it. So if if anybody is still running hard, and, and we do know, in fact, that there are, as last, last I heard, um, many, many months after this was publicly known, the number that I have in mind that I remember seeing was 330,000 publicly facing servers are still vulnerable to Heartbleed, and they're things like this they're th- you know machines in the closet that nobody really thinks about that are vulnerable so yikes
0: yeah it's it's kind of also a proof of concept right because the Yeah, the real question about Heartbleed was, well, could you really get anything of value by polling again and again and again? Well, yeah, apparently so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and 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 many people who did it just got noise. Right, they just they they thought, well, there's nothing here. It's like, well, no, try again, ask again, knock on the door again.
0: It did take them a while, and I I I bet you this has been going on since the original. Like they just kind of let's get some more, let's get some more.
1: Exactly. That's I mean that's what you would do if you were determined you know, in in the so-called advanced persistent threat sort of model where, you know, you're determined to get in and so you just trickle. You don't want to do too much because you don't want it to appear, you don't want anything to appear in logs. And one would hope that, um, you know, intrusion pre- uh, prevention or detection systems would be now looking for this very visible um, intrusion. This is something that any sort of IDS, uh, in, in intrusion detection system, could easily be primed to detect and and block, you know, block further connections from that IP and sound alarms. But in this instance, there was, you know, some VPN server in the back room that nobody thought about, nobody wow. was worried about, and it was enough to get people in. So, yeah, it's... Uh, definitely uh, as you said a perfect demonstration of a theoretical vulnerability this is where oh yeah this maybe could happen well bang you know yep big time amazing uh and i did get a tweet just just even though harry's is not uh on on the uh sponsoring us this week
0: i I shaved uh mac (laughs) break weekly i don't know if you caught it but i shaved with harry's this morning on mac break weekly
1: Nice. Uh, Smooth. We have a, a listener, Todd Eddy, uh, said that his first shave with Harry's after never... Oh, he, he he tweeted on the 23rd. First shave with Harry's after never using a razor in his life. Whoa. So this was his virginity of, of an actual, you know, straight edge razor. He's always used electric. And he said this is as close, if not closer... And no cuts. Uh, he did follow on tweet that he apparently he shaves his head, and he says for that <laughs> I'm still using electric. And I said I think that's probably a did good. Did you ever use an electric razor?
0: razor? No, I've tried. I don't them. think I it's ever just, did. I, they aren't very close. No, I would and love and for them my, to work, but it's just not the same.
1: Yep, I, I grew up in a household uh with a dad using a straight edge and that's how you know he says let me show you how this works and that's how i was i just grew up that way
0: yeah
1: yeah i mean the, the the convenience of it you know so, sometimes when i'm driving to breakfast i'll see somebody shaving in 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 his car you know <laughs> you know on the way it's like well that's, that's sort of that's multitasking yeah yeah that, that, that that's better than women trying to put makeup on when they're you know driving. It's like oh that requires a little too much concentration. That's funny. So that's our news.
0: All right. Do you want to do a little? I've, I'm done with ads. If you want to talk about spin right, I've got the questions for
1: you. Actually, some uh, I you know I talked so much about it last week, and I got a lot of uh, great feedback from people who really did like uh, hearing all about it. And there are a couple questions relating to that in our Q and A. Oh. So. Uh, let's just get into the questions. Let's get into
0: it then. Stephen Collins, Thomasville, Alabama. He's worried about copper. What?
1: Yeah, several yeah. people.
0: First of all, love the show. I've been with you since episode one, he says. Um, in this uh, in the episode 468, you gave advice to a listener asking about right wiring his home network who wanted to connect the land in his new home to his parents' home some 400 feet away. You mentioned the cost advantage of CAT-6 versus fiber, even then, uh, and even suggested you use CAT-6 inside a conduit to connect the two locations, the conduit being for upgrade purposes. Speaking from experience, I can tell you this is a terrible idea. The reason? Ground potential differences. Any time you run copper... Well, this is interesting. I didn't know this. Anytime you run copper wire between buildings with separate electrical power systems, there's a problem. Due to differences between the voltage of ground in the two buildings... In addition to carrying data, the copper wire will connect the ground systems of the two buildings. When there's a difference, a ground current flows on the data line. I've personally witnessed the results of this type of setup. I've seen fried Ethernet ports, fried motherboards, even sparks flying from expensive Cisco switches during a thunderstorm. The only solution is to connect the two homes with non-conductive media-like fiber. It may be more expensive initially, but in the long term, only fiber, or maybe wireless will provide a safe, high-speed, non-conductive path. That is great advice. Yes, and we
1: got it from several people. Now, I was a little confused because the question that I remember from two weeks ago was the the Q&A guy asking, he said, it turns out that fiber is so inexpensive that I'm thinking of using that because why not? And then I think that we, in our discussion, we sort of switched into talking about plumbing inside a home and and i think i remember talking about mark thompson wiring his whole house for for cat five before even moving in and how convenient it was to have you know outlets wherever you thought you might need them and so forth so i don't know i'm i i got a feeling like there was we were talking about so much but uh, but but i absolutely wanted to mention this now the only way this technology works at all is so-called differential signaling. That is, you, even even at, at like uh, Cat 5 with uh, 10 base 100 or, or, or 10 base T, you've got a twisted pair, as it's called, one going in each direction. And the idea is that the wires are twisted around each other continuously so that any interference, electromagnetic interference that one wire picks up the other wire picks up that is they are they are a pair that are deliberately twisted in order to sort of balance any um any interference that they they pick up and the idea then is that at the transmitting end the this, the signal is made by moving these, the, 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 the voltage on the wires in opposite directions. It's, so it's called differential. And then at the other end, there's a differential receiver that ignores the so-called common mode, which is to say it, it, it looks at the difference between the signal, not the absolute voltage on the lines. Which is the key to all this working? If you just had like just one wire going along, um, you, you'd have a very difficult time over any distance not picking up an incredible amount of of noise on the line. We have um, uh, USB is is not differential; it's so called single ended, but it's got a it's it's. Dependent upon being grounded and shielded, so so it, so, and its length is deliberately limited. You're not getting nearly the same kind of lengths as you can get with with a Cat Five, wh- which uses this, this differential signaling. So, it's definitely the the case that, that 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 Stephen and the others who wrote about this are correct. You you could you can't have. Each end at large voltage differences, because because you're you are then going to get some some potentially destructive uh, current flow, which actually results in a in a voltage difference. It's the voltage, the pressure that breaks down the semiconductor and and causes it to to, to deteriorate and and cause problems. But uh, so if the if the differential is small as Often exists even within a house. Uh, the system is designed to handle it, but the further apart you are, and exactly as he says, if you've got, especially if you've got separate electrical systems, then def, then, then then using a non conductive bridge like fiber absolutely makes sense. And as our original questioner said, hey, it turns out fiber is not expensive any longer, so why not use it? And and so the lesson here is absolutely, especially when you're connecting things that are that are distant from each other question two comes
0: from michael reynard in pennsylvania he's already tried the i'm recording you too experiment two months ago i had a (laughs) call wells fargo about an issue that needed to be resolved after being greeted by the all too common recording this call may be recorded blah 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 a representative answered i informed the rep i too am recording the call i was promptly placed on hold and then informed they did not authorize me to record the call Thereafter, the statement was repeated approximately every thirty seconds. Huh. I had to laugh. I feel what's good for the goose is, well, great show, guys, keep it up. They
1: didn't want the call to be recorded. I thought that was interesting, you know, because, because we were talking about this um, and the whole, the whole, the whole issue of, well, just you know, res, you know, re, 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 respond that you're recording it too. And I didn't know that there were organizations like this who were prepared for people saying that. Obviously, this is not the first time they've been told that or they wouldn't have a button to press that immediately drops the person into a procedure for dealing with someone who's recording the call. And the only reason they would be repeating that statement every 30 seconds is so that it's going on to the record of the recording which is being made by the person. Right. So I thought that was just, you know, uh, I, so at I that think, point, Michael. So for- you have
0: only one choice, do business with some other company. Just say, hey, thank yeah. you, I'm taking my business elsewhere. And that's, presu- that's the real bottom line issue problem with uh, Comcast and today's uh, Internet service providers. They're monopolies. There is nowhere else to go. Right. You can't take your business elsewhere. Right. Joseph in Los Angeles reports that American Express has issued him a chip and signature card. Although my current Amex card doesn't expire till the end of 2015, I just got a new chip and signature card. The old and new cards are identical, except for the chip on the front of the card. The card also has a 2019 expiration date. Prior Amex cards were generally only good for three or four years. My guess is they did the five-year cycle as the cards are more expensive. Unfortunately, there's still a mag strip on the card. Maybe the replacement card that comes in 2019 will be mag strip free. Yeah, I mentioned that I got a Chip and I—I I don't know if it's chip and pin, chip and signature. I'm not sure what, but I got a card with a. Finally, for the first time, got a card with a chip in it.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to begin to see that incrementally over time. Well, we know it's um, required, right? By the end of the uh, next year, right? And, and and I just wanted to say I've I've not yet done the deep dive into this that I plan to for the podcast, but in general, that what the chip allows is. A- an active response yeah. to a query. So that's what makes it different from from just the mag stripe, wh- wh- which is necessarily passive. You know, the mag stripe is fixed information which can be read, whereas the chip allows, whether it's in conjunction with a pin or not, it allows a challenge response, meaning that, for example, it can have... Secret information on it, which which is which is itself never made available, and and so that so that that's the the fundamental difference on 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 a card that has an, you know electrical contact facing uh, facade is eventually we'll put it in something, and if that something queries the card. It can challenge it for something the card knows, which it never discloses, but it generates a response that's a function of the challenge. And so if you, do a, if you set up a one-time challenge, then you get a one-time response, and that prevents replay attacks. And so fundamentally, the problem with anything passive, like the MagStripe, is it's basically completely prone to any kind of replay because you know, all you have to do is get you know your credit card number stolen, and and so they a quote replay attack is just reusing that number, which is you know why I'm having to change my card every few years. Is that yeah. you know w- websites that I use let less and less so now. I'll say since more and more sites are supporting PayPal, which I really appreciate. Um, uh, you know, I, when when, I, when a site allows me to use that especially, you know, little mom and pop hokey sites, it's like, I'm just not going to give them my, my, my credit card information or, you know, Chinese sites or something. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I'm just not going to give it to them. I, I just can't. But if they say, oh, you know, supports PayPal, it's like, oh, okay, good. That, you know, that works.
0: I think it's now, of course, it's going to be required, but that doesn't mean you don't have the mag strip. I imagine they'll do both for a while for just compatibility, right?
1: Yes, in fact, I'm glad you said that because I meant to bring that up. That's, that's the real exactly reason. the case. Yeah. Is, is is in order to allow us to phase over? Right now, nothing supports chip right. in the U.S. Well, unless you I travel, mean, yeah. I'll precisely. be I'll be
0: taking that chip and pin card with me um, uh, to uh, England at the end of next month because that's I'll need it. You know, you go to a gas station in Italy, you can't buy gas if you don't
1: have one, right? Because it's an unintended uh, uh, pump. It really is weird, isn't it, that we're just so far behind in the U.S. It's another place where you know technology. You know, we're, we're, we have a lot of belief in ourselves as the great you know source of all, technolo- of all technology, but you know we we do seem to move slowly. Did you see that? Uh, and of course, part of the uh, this is part of the issue. Coin is going to have.
0: Uh, uh, did you see they've delayed now their release for another. few and, months?
1: And you know, yes, I, I'm. I have to say. I'm I'm interested in the technology. It'll be I I ordered two because I want to take one. I want to delaminate one, take it apart, and, and I'll you know I'll hold it up to the camera on yeah. the podcast I, I and think show it has people. an Arduino in it, I think. But um, I mean, it was very clear to me that the well-intended guy who was doing it, I mean, he was, like, learning to solder in the beginning of this. Yeah. It's was like, oh, okay, you know? Yeah. And he was, like, wrapping coils around. I mean, he had a long way to go from from having an idea and, like, bringing it to fruition. Yeah, but so, I don't
0: feel sorry for him because he got more than 20,000 people to send him 50 bucks. No, I'm not feeling I sorry for him. Feel and, so and bad. In, general, in fact, I
1: feel like... This is a little bit of well, I'm
0: okay, but I was you remember I was very deeply
1: skeptical of the whole thing. Well, and I have to say of Kickstarter in general, I'm you know I'm I'm noticing this wasn't I'm I'm even sure a
0: Kickstarter project. This was just a website page. It says send us fifty dollars. One of these days we might send you something.
1: Yeah, Some yeah, and and again I'm, it's for for people who've never created a commercial product. There is far mm. more mm. to it than they expect I, i'm you know i'm getting email and i'm sure you are too from the guys who are doing the uh tem perfect mug and there you know yeah, we're I still got waiting that. for it uh, we're, wait, we're waiting for it and there's emails coming in it's like okay well here's what we got now and oh look it's raining so we had to put a new roof uh, on the shack where we're doing the, like, the blah 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 it's like okay you know i mean, again, it's this is all a bit of a crapshoot, so you yeah, know. I, I I think ultimately <laughs> I'll probably get something, and but and on I as, as a person who has brought many commercial products to market, I understand it. There's much more to it than than anyone who hasn't done that before appreciates. So you know, I'm very patient, and, and I recognize too. It's like okay, well, maybe it'll maybe maybe it'll happen. It's a little bit of a risk. That's all. Yeah. I'm still yeah.
0: waiting for the NFC ring. I'm still wa- I have so many Kickstarter projects that have just never really been baked. Yeah. I
1: didn't I forgot about that mug. I ordered one of those too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We both did. <laughs> we or- we ordered we ordered the good one the one that was yeah. like extra it was black anodized or something yeah. fancy or, or maybe i did i don't remember but you know and i love the idea that, that it does thermal storage that when you put coffee in it that's too hot to drink it immediately cools that off by by <laughs> absorbing the heat but then it holds the heat so it keeps the coffee at that now drinkable temperature for a long time so it changes the temperature time curve in a way that we want Love the idea. Would love to have one
0: someday. We'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. Look at that, a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. Well, they've got a lot to work with at least. Yeah. So, now now their shack has new roof.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Corby in Reno, Nevada has now encountered a gas pump that asked for a zip code. I get that every day or every time. I, I
1: don't. I Yeah, I was so surprised. I think this is the first time he's seen that. And I'm thinking, wow, I've been doing that for years.
0: Uh, I just used my credit card at a gas pump. It asked me for my zip code. This seems a very simple, reasonable method for two-factor authentication. Well, actually, I guess it's really single factor, which is still one more factor than most point-of-sale systems require. Why don't other point-of-sale systems ask for a zip code? Obviously, it's not perfect but it sure seems much much better than zero factors it's two factor you have the card
1: that's one factor and the zip that's the second right there is a formal there's a formal flag as someone who implemented an e-commerce system as as I did for for for, for, for GRC there's a it's called card not present which you which an electro purely electronic transaction has to acknowledge versus a you know a physical card present transaction so as, so as you say it is a you have the you have to have to have the physical card of course the the zip code request is the card could be stolen and the thief wouldn't know the zip code of the owner presumably the, the reason i chose this question was this is a nice place to note that the prob the, the reason this doesn't provide fabulous protection and the reason point of sales systems that you know that for for example where you do enter a pin still have a problem is that 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 where the where the acknowledgement or or the verification occurs it, 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 if you are upstream of that point then your second factor doesn't provide you any protection so for example there have been gas pumps that have been compromised where the gas pump itself is spying on the user so so the gas pump just waits for the zip code to be entered and then bundles that up with a credit card information and sends that off to the bad guys so so it's so the the i guess my point is that the further the further the Back in the system, you're able to authenticate the, the the further away from the user, the better. So, you know, multi-factors is good. But if the bad guys can catch and intercept all of the factors, then it really doesn't provide you much protection.
0: Yeah. Bart Bus Shots in Maynooth, Ireland. I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong. but Looks <laughs> good. P-U-S-S-C-H-O-T-S. Uh, I bet you got a billion of these already, but you made a wee boo boo when describing free certs from StartSSL.com. They are not no better than self-signed certs, and they certainly, most certainly, are recognized and trusted by browsers. The validation is the standard email loop. You have to provide prove you control the domain before they'll issue you a cert. So, you mean if I use my Yahoo.com email address, I can get a cert for Yahoo.com? There are some. <laughs> there are. There are some important asterisks to the start SSL free certs, though. Non-commercial use only. All free certs are for one year, so you have to renew them annoyingly often. All free certs contain exactly one SAN name. In other words, the cert is good for your domain and your domain with dub www prefix, but you cannot specify other service alternative names like, say, Images.twit.tv. For people running charitable sites or personal websites, that are this is a good option. A lot of these sites use CMSs like WordPress and Drupal and Joomla, which means there are usernames and passwords whizzing around in the clear needlessly. If Google helps push these kinds of sites towards free SSL certs, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Also, with the death of Windows XP or the death of IE6, to be more precise... All versions of IE now support multiple SSL v-hosts and a single IP address, so the days of having to pay for a dedicated IP address to enable SSL are over at last. So the timing is good. Keep up the good work, and every time I hear you plug Spinrite, I remember that it got me a bottle of very good single malt Irish whiskey. He didn't share that with you, Steve, as a thank you for using my licensed copy to rescue a conference at the 11th hour. Smiley face.
1: That's sweet. So, so... I went back and I cannot find where I saw the note that I referred to uh, when I apparently incorrectly disparaged start SSL search. First of all, I called them start TLS, which <laughs> that was a problem because we know start TLS is the protocol used for protecting email. I corrected that a couple weeks ago. So I appreciated Bart's note about start SSL and a number of other listeners uh, wrote about it also. And, and I, again, for the life of me, I can't find what, what it was that I saw that I was, I'm sure I saw, but maybe it was older. I I did find some 2011 uh, notes about like Android 2.1, not supporting start SSL. Um, and there was a problem um, back in the past with Mozilla and Firefox, but nothing contemporary. So I, I want to make that I want to want to fix that because you know for for people for whom this makes sense, as far as I can tell, as Bart says, StartSSL browser support is universal. I, I looked at StartSSL.com, the site where you can get these. And they advertise absolutely universal browser support. Um, they, what you need to do in terms of an email loop is you need to demonstrate domain management typically by being able to respond to webmaster at yourdomain.com. Um, and so you know, it would be difficult for you to get webmaster at yahoo.com, we hope. Um, we, we, hope, we hope that email address is, is actually in use by the actual webmaster of yahoo.com. Um, but, but that's the way that the, the process operates. And in some cases, if you are unable to, for whatever reason, control the email for your domain, you, they can provide you something which you put on your site, which you then give them the URL to. So, again, you demonstrate that you have a, a means of controlling the content on that domain, which is then a, a, a essentially allows you to qualify for a cert. So non-commercial use, yeah, you have to do it annual, but if you don't want to pay anything, the, everybody recognizes these certs. And so it is for the slight overhead of dealing with it every year. Um, it's, it's so far as I can tell, 100% useful. Although again, not You couldn't protect email.domain.com, as, as he says, only domain.com and www.domain.com. But for your typical website, that's enough. So thank you, Bart. And, and I want to thank everybody for giving me the opportunity to correct that because I, I incorrectly uh, stated that there were some people who did not uh, handle them. And I, I can't find that now.
0: Richard in uh, Calgary, Alberta, wonders whether we're concerned about password strength. Listening to... Confused. Confused. Confused, I mean, yes. Listening to the discussion on password strength in the last episode occurred to me, you've never distinguished between online and offline attacks. The password protecting an encrypted file should be much stronger than the password protecting the login for an account. I think you discussed the distinction in an earlier episode, but the distinction seems to have been forgotten.
1: Just my two cents. Did you forget... So- no, um, so here's the problem. Um, some in order to move things along in order not to have to describe essentially the you know the underpinnings of everything we talk about whenever we do, <laughs> I sort of have to assume some knowledge is in evidence, yes uh, and and for what it's worth, I am never, never talking about online login password strength that is to say the the idea of someone guessing your online login by successively entering passwords in the browser because that's just not practical i mean anybody could i mean most most sites are going to have some sort of a lockout if you guess wrong ten times, they're finally going to say, "Okay, look, call us or do something." Obviously, I mean, and and that's where they've got the little "I forgot my password" link. All of our discussion, even in the in the context of online passwords, is about the theft of their database, and the, which is the the problem that. These sites all seem to have sooner or later is they lose control of their password database, which is then an offline high-speed attack against that database. So I, I'm I, I apologize, Richard, if I if and to anyone else who is confused, if I if I'm not clear about that. But that's sort of the background behind this is nowhere. Are we talking any longer about the idea of, you know, someone sitting there trying to guess someone's password by successively trying to log in? Normally, you get locked out after some some period of time. And even if you don't, the just the turnaround time yes. of, of how long it takes to produce a guess and be declined makes it, you know, completely prohibitive of like doing a brute force attack on their account. It's generally that you have... You found that database offline, and then you just, you know, you you blast at it w- with an offline attack.
0: To uh, or to say it more simply, we always use the worst case scenario, not the best case scenario. Right. Which in security is probably the right
1: thing to do. <laughs> hey, if everything goes well, you'll be fine. <laughs> but if no one, you no, know, and in fact, just use the password monkey, and if no one tries, you're great. You're like, you're, you're yeah. good. You're, probably yeah. will be fine i think that's
0: just you know we use the worst case scenario when we talk and just assume well
1: we- and that's the all that mean you know security as we've often said is about the the security of the weakest link so that's what that's about is you know the the strength of the chain is which link is going to break when you put it under stress so yes Babak
0: in Dubai makes a very good point about password change policies. Longtime listener of the show, thanks for a great podcast. Episode 468, you discussed, uh, we dismissed, I will will say, password change policies. But I think you forget about the most important benefit they provide. They protect the user from someone else accessing their accounts over an extended period of time without their knowledge. And this is a good point. Your credentials could become compromised once, then the person who obtained them Will continue to be able to access and read your emails and transactions for many years to come. A password change policy is not completely pointless and limits
1: this risk. Yeah, I, I, I actually am was put in mind of this of my mom who's had the same password f- protecting her, uh, quotes air quotes on protecting, forever and she's given it to pretty much all the various members of the family for what you know at one time or another when she needed them to do something and so if any of them have any interest about anything going on in her life at any time they can just log in as her and i just you know it just makes me close my eyes and and think oh goodness but you know if mom were changing her password ever then she would she would be shedding those other members of the extended family who may very well be poking around and seeing what's going on to my great dread. So, you know, I I I think uh, Babak uh, Mesa makes a, a very valid point. Uh, you know, this, of course, is in the context of the policies which require people to change their passwords periodically. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
0: This is from Martin in Frankfurt, Germany. I'm an on-and-off listener to Security Now. Recently purchased Spinrite just to try it out. Have had no problems, knock on wood. And, of course, to support the work you do. I've run it on all my drives on Level 2. And to my great surprise, it did not report any problems. Lucky me, I guess. But the actual question is how about running spin right on level two? How does how it fixes people's problems? I might have missed the explanation in one of the podcasts I haven't listened to, so maybe you can explain it again, please. I understand level 2 is, is, is a scan of the drive. Look, but don't touch. So how could it possibly fix anything? Which piece I've missed to understand how running spin right on the on, on only level two helps with problems? If level two already fixes issues, what are the benefits of level three and
1: four? Good question. So, uh, uh, I didn't talk about that last week. So, I appreciated Martin's question. What, what the the look but don't touch level two? It does several things. First of all, it in the in the IDE specification, th- there is lots of control over sort of maintenance level modes over things you can tell the drive not to do. You can tell it not to retry before it reports an error, so that makes it much more sensitive to trouble. Um, uh, you you can tell it uh, first of all, obviously, not to cache, and so that prevents it from from reading data ahead. So there are a number of things that that Spinrite does that that increases the drive sensitivity to problems. A- and then the other thing is that if the drive when reading a sector encounters an error which is is becoming long enough to be worrisome. Remember that error correction is able to correct problems up to a certain length. Contemporary drives do error correction as a matter of course now. The densities are so high that drives are just expecting to have problems reading the data all the time. So, drives will will ignore correctable pro, correctable errors uh, up to a certain length and then if the error be, it sort of grows over time as errors are known to do, called a grown defect. If you if you put grown G R O W N as opposed to GROAN, grown defect into Google, you'll find wow, the world knows all about this the defects tend to increase in size. So at some point, even when you're just doing a read scan, the drive will, Spinrite allows the drive to fix these problems itself. This is exactly how it fixes uh, flash drives and, and thumb drives in, in, w- w- with the same technology is just giving the drive the chance when it's being told to be extra picky, don't do rereads in order to get a read which is good, but but fail on a single read. And when you do that, fix the problem right then. So it's very possible to, to, to as, as, as essentially cranking cranking up the drive sensitivity to problems, which Spinrite does. Then make, making a pass across the drive allows the drive to find problems. Which are nascent and growing, and fix them before they get to a point to to a point where it's then going to have problems. And as for uh, the the writing tests, it is also the case that defects interact with the data written on them. Say that you wrote a zero over a spot where there was a defect. Well it when you read it back it would be a zero so the drive wouldn't see that as a problem but if you wrote a 1 over that spot and read it back and got a zero now that's a problem which is to say that data interacts with defects so what 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 the greater what the higher levels of spin write do is they invert all of the zeros and ones write them read them back invert them again write them and read them back in order to make sure that all of the areas of the drive are able to hold both ones and zeros now that that is an oversimplification because what the, the data we write does not no, no longer really maps into the flux reversals that are stored on the disk but at least this is something that sort of exercises the surface and verifies that not only the data we've written, but also the inversion of that is able to be safely read and written on every spot of the drive, and then we move forward. So it takes a lot longer, but it sort of does a more thorough scrubbing and analysis of the surface. So that's how a look but don't touch can provide benefit and also what the, what the deeper levels do. From Matt
0: Ray's in Tracy, California, comes this question. I have several servers in our environment here, and I'm wondering how Spinrite can help us out. As a, as expected, they are all in RAID arrays. Hmm, what's the best means of running Spinrite in a RAID environment? Will Six One support RAID?
1: Unfortunately, almost certainly not. Um, and that's another thing I didn't touch on. I coined the term thin RAID to refer to. The motherboard-based RAID that, for example, the, some of the Intel chipsets support, where where you don't have a, a third-party RAID controller plugged into a slot, but you you just have sort of you know RAID t- typically zero, one, and five are supported by the motherboard, and you'll have RAID drivers that are available, and so the idea is that. Basically, the, those are it, those are just independent um, IDE, you know, SATA ports, um, which drives are plugged into. And then once the drive, w- once the OS is booted, it runs a it, it runs a native driver that essentially does RAID and software. Spinrite can see all of those separate drives. With no problem at all. So you can you can run SpinWrite individually on those drives in a so-called thin RAID um, and get all the benefits of SpinWrite. But in any instance where you have a server which probably has a physical RAID controller, the drives are are in there's no visibility. For like into the drives from the software or even from the hardware, that controller is pretending it's got a processor on it and typically cache and its own RAID RAID controller and buffer memory, you know, and, and, and it typically costs a couple hundred dollars. And so that's a serious piece of equipment, which is itself pretending to be a drive. So from the first moment you plug this in, the motherboard, the BIOS, the OS, everybody sees this as a drive. And the OS probably has a driver to allow enhanced performance and and to interact with the RAID controller and, and monitor the health of the RAID and the drives, which it's able to provide through additional interface. But Spinrite... From the outside, Spinright sees it as a single drive. And frankly, it does no good to run spinright on from that view of of the drives behind the raid. If you want if there's a problem and many people do have problems where, the, you know, the RAID breaks, um, and they need to then run Spinrite. So people do this, but you have to unplug the drive from the RAID controller, plug it directly into the motherboard where Spinrite can then see it and then run on it and repair it. And, and then, of course, put the drive back.
0: Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, our very last question and this sets us up for next week, apparently, from John Andrade in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. Steve, what are your thoughts on Matthew Green's statement on PGP? An article just published on the Hacker News website talks about Matthew Green, who's a famous cryptography dude, and yep. his take on the future of PGP. If you read his blog, I'm pasting the link to the article. I'd be very interested in what you think. It's in cryptographyengineering.com. Perhaps you'll talk about this on an upcoming Q&A or a normal show. Thanks, Steve. By the way, proud owner of a copy of Right 6, a real lifesaver. Stay true to your roots and never change or bend for anyone's interests. We depend
1: on you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so this was on my radar, uh, and I thought this was a perfect segue into next week's podcast. Um, Matthew Green, whom we've spoken of often, he is a, a you know a well-known cryptographer, uh, Johns Hopkins, as I rem- yes, as I recall. JHU, yes, yep. And uh, he essentially raises the question: uh, PGP was designed right, but is it time maybe? to consider an upgrade we, you know we, that we have many things have happened since for example um the 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 addition of of elliptic curve cryptography with its very conveniently short keys and you know pgp uh, you know beautifully designed uh maybe it's time to take another look at it and ask if it's the best we can do today. And I think that would be a great topic for next week's podcast. So that's what we've got lined up for next week.
0: Good. Yeah. I actually moved from PGP to S-MIME because PGP was confusing the heck out of people I sent email to. Yeah. (laughs) they just, nobody, nobody could figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I really think SMIME makes a lot of sense because it does have the advantage of being built into the underlying protocol and just being sort of supported natively more and more.
0: Steve Gibson is at GRC.com. That's where he hangs his hat. It's called the Gibson Research Corporation because of it. (laughs) You'll also find lots of cool stuff there, not just Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, but also a lot of freebies. Steve's giving away stuff all the time, including, yes, this show. He has 16 kilobit audio for the bandwidth impaired and full human written transcriptions so you can read along as you listen. Uh, that's at grc.com. You can leave questions for Steve there as well, grc.com slash feedback. Um, and you'll find a lot of freebies and it's a great site just to browse around. It's become more and more a compendium of interesting stuff that Steve likes. We have full uh, audio, full quality audio and video at our site, twit.tv slash S N. We put this on YouTube. You can share it with friends and family, youtube.com slash security now. And, you know, if you if there's a little particular part of the show that you want to share, you know you can do that in YouTube. You scrub to the part you want, click the share button, and then you can share by time. And they'll get a link that they just click that jumps right to that part. I don't know if people, that's widely known, but that's very I, useful. Yes. Yeah, Very good point. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show and uh, all the different, you know, podcatchers. Uh, Just search for Twitter security now and you'll find it. That way you'll get it each and every week. Next week, PGP and what could be better. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Leo.